I hope you've all had inspiring discussions and that um, you have questions to ask so we can continue here. And uh, I'm going to say that next week in this Thursday slot, I believe Stephen Dunk, is that the right one yet, um, is going to speak on fracking and things like that. It's called uh, Unconventional Oil and Gas, an Opportunity for Canada. Cool. That's a topic we love here. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you can always find this stuff out at SACPA.ca as well. And it would be great to see some people um, commenting on the and working in the forums there because we can have a discussion there throughout the week as well. Um, and there's a suggestion box out there for any complaints or ideas, and you can be anonymous. Pardon? No complaints. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, it's time to start, so I'm going to welcome Ms. Linda McKay-Panos uh, and Dr. Ramos back uh, to discuss their presentation. Are the harms associated with polygamy significant enough to justify a limitation on the freedom of religion? Um, the questioner's mic is over there, and please limit yourself to one or two questions. Keep your comments brief, and begin by stating your name, please. And while the question is being answered, if you could take your seat to allow room for the next person, that would be great. Thank you. Ed Bardock, <clears throat> thank you for uh, concise analysis, not only from the Alberta perspective and uh, the analysis of what that means, but also the differences with the B.C. appeal to the uh, B.C. Supreme Court. I wonder uh, if, however, your talk today isn't about religion or polygamy, but should have been entitled, What Happens When You Have Total Government and Police in Action on Situations That Are Terrible for Both Women and Young Children? Nope. Absolutely. There's no question about that. <clears throat> As I said during my presentation, this has been going on for decades and nothing really has been done about it, whether it to be to address the polygamy, make charges, or to look at the individual harms uh, that are, have experienced. And so now we've got ourselves in a situation where it's entrenched, really, and so it's worse. And when we, we've seen in the States when they did try to do something... Uh, there was mass hysteria amongst the children, and the, it was a very upsetting and so on because they had lived this life for so long. Yeah. Lillian Baxter. Um, my question is, in Canada in general, if a husband um, takes another wife on the side, uh, that's classed as bigamy. Yes. How come that's against the law? But what they're doing, is it only because of their religion that they can get away with this? Well, <clears throat> uh, bigamy is also on the books. It's yeah. a separate offense. It's, it's right beside polygamy. It's either 292 or 294. It's right, right in there. And the answer is um, the, when, when somebody, um, the Crown Prosecutor decides to investigate a criminal offense, they, they do have a lot of discretion. And uh, they have just exercised their discretion not to make charges uh, on the position that they feel that if um, it was ever laid, that they would defend by trying to get the section of the criminal code struck down as being unconstitutional. Now, my position is that's not the role of the government. Like, if there's <clears throat> a law on the books that's wrong, it should be repealed by the government. 
right, by Parliament. Or the police should be, if it looks like there's enough evidence and somebody's done something that's in the code that's wrong, then the police should be laying charges and let us address it in court. But that's not what they've chosen to do. Yeah. Bob Campbell. Uh, a few months back, there was a discussion on this issue on, on uh, CBC, and it came out during the discussion that uh, there are imams in uh, some of the larger centers uh, in Canada who are performing uh, marriages for second or third wives. Yes. Any uh, comment on that and how that's impacting this whole debate? Well, it, it, it has. In fact, um, our paper was released in a collection of papers, two of the other papers uh, that I sent to Josh. Two of the other papers dealt with that because there are other countries where polygamy is, is legal. Um, my understanding of the Mormon, or sorry, the Muslim way, um, and I, I'm certainly no expert, um, and there may be others who know more, is that there are limitations. First of all, um, the first wife, the number one wife, has to agree. Secondly, uh, there's a limit of four. And thirdly, uh, the man has to be able to afford it. And uh, we don't have any of those lim Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Um, we don't have those uh, limitations um, in this bountiful community at all. There are no limitations. Um, and so there's that difference. And um, also, I, I think, and my, my understanding is, is limited, but I think there were some economic reasons for that rule in Muslim Islam, and that would be what would happen to a woman if she was suddenly widowed, right? So there she was, and she had no source of, of um, support and, and so on. So one of the solutions would be for say, her husband's brother to, to marry her or something like that. So it's a little bit different uh, situation, but I think we have to decide. It, it brings up a, a very interesting issue that we've been looking at at the center, and that is, are there some basic principles as a country we stand for in a democracy in Canada, and do we have to um, agree to every other cultures, rules, and in the name of sort of relativity, or do we say there are certain things that we just don't do here in Canada, and that's in the name of equality, in the name of whatever, and that's just the way it is, because I think it's also fair to say a lot of new Canadians come here expecting uh, gender equality and expecting some of these other things too, so I think it's it's something we need to look at. And it's getting more confusing as time goes on because we are having a, a lot more different cultures with different uh, rules and, and religions and so on. My name is Pano, Pano Karkanis. <clears throat> I want to uh, ask about this uh, freedom of religion. Now, my understanding uh, of the religion of the people in uh, Bountiful, which is the fundamental uh, Mormon they are originally Mormons, yes. and both of them are originally Christians, or what, that's what they call themselves. Mm -hmm. But uh, the Mormons we know, they do not allow uh, multiple marriages. And uh, the fundamental, they allow multiple marriages. Where did they get this multiple marriages in their belief of the religion from? And uh, if they all go back to their real origin, which they claim they are Christians, Christianity does not allow at all uh, multiple marriages. Um, th but this, uh, there is all kinds of other 
concerns and issues in the uh, Charter of Rights, like the uh, freedom of choice, like the uh, human rights for the uh, girls and for the uh, uh, children and for the other men who do, who do not or cannot be allowed to marry as the leader of the bountiful decides. Correct. So <clears throat> the, actually the history is fascinating and, and in our paper we did we were able to touch on on some of it but the way I understand it is traditionally um, Mormons is sort of they believe in the Bible but they also have their own more modern um, origins for their new prophet Joseph Smith <clears throat> and he did actually practice and believe in polygamy um, but the there was a, a certain level of abhorrence to that in the US and so the condition of Utah becoming one of the states was that they had to give that practice up and they did and this um, group in Bountiful and there are some other breakaway groups in the US as well too I think two big ones um, originally came to Alberta and uh, settled in Cardston for a while and then and then um, moved over to BC eventually And but they that's so they sort of parted ways, <clears throat> and that's uh, and Canada, um, in sort of cooperation, I guess, with the U.S., passed the anti-polygamy law we have currently at the same time as the U.S. passed it uh, uh, in the late 1800s. I don't know if that answers your whole question, but that's sort of the history behind the um, the um, how we ended up having them here in Canada. And then, of course, they've been allowed to continue with impunity ever since. They've been allowed to expand, and they have all kinds of infighting. They might destroy themselves, you never know, because there's some power problems between them. But it's a fascinating um, uh, read to look at some of the, the, the book by Daphne. You read that? Yeah, I can't remember the last name, but I'll, I'll post a connection to... Uh, Josh, uh, and uh, it's a whole history, and they've got pictures in Cardston and so on and so forth, and of this original family that broke away. And the Mormons distanced themselves. The traditional uh, Mormons now um, actually called us when we wrote our first um, our first draft of our paper and asked us to please make sure that we were clear that <clears throat> this is a special sect. This is a breakaway group. It is not no longer supported by the mainstream uh, Mormon religion. My name is Gordon Campbell. Uh, two things. Uh, one, uh, I would like, on behalf of this group, to thank both women for their incredibly clear and honest statement and study of these issues, and we benefit from it. The very essence of democracy is illustrated in this room today. The Council of Public Affairs has by tradition had uh, been a forum, which is debate uh, critical issues of this kind on an informed basis, and you have done that to our great pleasure today, so thank you. <laughs> and, and I want then to follow now with a tricky question. Uh -oh. <laughs> uh, you've touched on it in your last sentence or two. Uh, Sylvia and I have lived in British Columbia for a while and in Alberta for a while. And I was conscious when I was in British Columbia that there was another law beyond the Charter of Rights uh, and beyond the Civil Code and even indeed beyond the Criminal Code, the law of public opinion. 
And I was trying to figure out when I was there, the, who is this public opinion that is pushing the government? Because the government didn't want to act. It's a quagmire for the government. And they would stay, they'd run 100 miles to stay away from this issue. It involves too many sensitive political kinds of questions. So my, the questions I would like you both to take a kick at is, isn't there another source of force better qualified to deal with this complex human issue than the law? or even the Charter of Civil Rights, or even the Supreme Court. That's the law of public opinion, that the people will do the right thing, and that we will encourage them and help them to evolve into a way of life that accepts the good spirit of, of caring about human beings in our society, but allows them the freedom to work out their own way. Right. Wow, that is a tricky question. <laughs> um, so I just want to make sure I understand the question. It, it seems to me what you're asking is instead of um, deal, using the law to deal with this, we maybe try to communicate with this group and talk to them and show them a better way. Is that fair? Okay. Okay. I mean, obviously, um, there. You know that that is a very deep philosophical question. And in fact, I teach a whole course on the role of the law. Does law change society? Does society change the law? Or is it a little of each? It's a deep, deep question. And I guess <clears throat> the way I approach it in my class is to say that the law has two main functions. It shows what we value in our society to others, and it also helps order our affairs. And it may be that the only way we can encourage these people <clears throat> not to, to engage in these practices is to make it illegal because some people will not change. I mean, we know that there are some people uh, who just unfortunately do not respond to anything uh, else in, uh, other than the, the law. What, what concerns me about this situation is that it's actually garnered a level of disrespect for the law because we have a law in the books and in my opinion, if we're going to have a law, we should either prosecute it or repeal it. We shouldn't just leave it and say, well, we don't think it's a good law or whatever, because that's, that's against the rule of law, and I have a problem with that. Now, I may I agree, and at the end, we need to get rid of the whole thing and maybe work on it on, from a social stance. I mean, take, take a different moral question, prostitution. <clears throat> There are countries where they have determined that the best way to deal with it is to prosecute the Johns, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, and to have social services for the victim women. And um, it'll be interesting to see what comes of that. And so maybe one of the solutions we could have to polygamy is to say, because right now the way the law stands, the women could also be prosecuted, right? Because they entered into a form of marriage. That's, that's polygamous. So it's not just the guy. It's everybody in that community, except for the children, of course, unless they're married, um, who have broken the law. So, so maybe one of the limits we could say is, is limited to, to um, uh, polyandry. Or no, the other one, uh, polygyny. Whichever one means more than one wife. Yeah, because, or something like that. I don't, I don't know. But to limit it to the guy... Uh, rather than the women who are um, entering into it. I don't know. I doubt that the, they would ever prosecute the females. I doubt they'll ever, even if it's found to be constitutional, it just wouldn't be 
Right. It wouldn't be considered in the public mind. But you've got a good question there. It's the whole role of law. And there are other sections of the criminal code, many actually, that deal with morals. That's not the only, it's, it's, you know, that kind of fall into more moral things than other um, issues like pornography and obscenity, prostitution, um, even using drugs, you could argue. All those things are more personal choices and, the, you know, and it's um, where the state has been falling more recently is if they, there are demonstrable and palpable harms, then they're going to say that that, and sometimes there's psychological harms, and that's significant enough. Yeah. I can say one sentence more. Yeah. I winced when I heard the first speaker say criminalize. The word criminalize in Canada, when I think of what we do, throw them into the courts and leave them there, or you know what happens. And the failure of this government and many governments to deal with the drug addiction problem, for example, criminalize that. That isn't the most effective way. Absolutely. Of dealing with the problem. And I'm suggesting that I have, with great respect, I, I, I back away from the word. Let's, let's deal. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's like all those other issues I raised. It's where we're wading into morality issues, and, and they're very difficult to regulate using the criminal law. Hi, my name is Melanie Thomas, and I have a question about Section 15. Um, Section 15 is, I think, with the exception of 27, my favorite clause in the Charter. <laughs> um, but I've been, and I understand the Section 1 override and all these other sorts of things, but my, my question about Section 15 is not the possibility of getting an equality infraction to stick with Section 15, but the plausibility that it will. And my understanding is that the court had made it pretty distinctive direction back in the late 90s that they wanted to make the equality jurisprudence to move in a different direction than the freedom of expression jurisprudence so that it was actually more about something more substantive than simply applying the Oaks test over and over and over again, right? Um, do you have any commentary? I mean, I understand that Section 15 is triggered in this sense, but I'm, I'm curious if you have an opinion about how plausible or how likely it would be that if something was brought forward as an equality claim in this context, how likely the court would be to actually apply Section 15? Uh, my gut feeling is your, your instincts are correct. Right at the moment, Section 15 is not very fulsome with respect to gender equality or any other kind of equality for that matter. We've we took a very sort of formulistic uh, sort of dive over um, <clears throat> in, the, in the last five or six years. I'm hopeful that it's going to change to the point where so many things, hoops had to be jumped to show any kind of discrimination that it was impossible to make out a case, pretty much. And now we've got a new case that looks like it's eased off a little, but there are still issues with this, a new case called CAP, K-A-P-P. Um, and, of course, that's really more a case about 15-2, which is affirmative action, rather than 15-1. And then there's one more case that deals with comparator groups. That The jurisprudence around Section 15 is, is complex, and I think that's why the um, BC Civil Liberties didn't even get into that. They just focused on Section 7, life, liberty, and security of the person, not to mention, however, that that section with, uh, outside of criminal matters has been a disaster in and of itself, but this is a criminal matter, so it's, you know, I can see why they did. 
gender equality issues have not been um, well addressed uh, by Section 15, and there is another Section 28 as well um, that you might uh, want to rely on, but we just felt that um, we could maybe try to use some of the jurisprudence like Butler and some of the stuff around freedom of expression to say gender uh, issues have trumped freedom of expression, so maybe it could also trump freedom of religion, but there's no guarantee, none. We might have time for one more question after this one. Bev Mental Atherstone, thank you very much for both of you for speaking. <clears throat> it seems to me we have to look at the uh, just the, the base of Canada and where we're coming from. And it seems to me that this is a very sexist, a very sexist culture, and it comes from the old British sexist tradition where women's, women had to change their names when they were married so that the man could then inherit his wife's goods and she had no goods. So I think we perpetuate that continuously. And when we look at uh, Melanie Thomas, who just talked about Section 15, and you talked about Section 28, um, we, have, we have laws on the books. We, we, the police could go and go in there. We could prosecute these cases. But basically, we have to ask, who does it serve for our country to continue and maintain this sexist tradition? Who does it serve? Why are women the most... Um, the most poor, why are children raised in poverty? You know, one-fifth of, of, um, of the families um, in Canada are poor. So we have to look at these things. Why do we still have uh, wage disparity? Apparently there's a law in the books, too, that's never been used, uh, that, we should have, that we should have wage equality. So how do we look at these <clears throat> deep issues when it's really cultural? Mm -hmm. And w this is perpetuated through our system, and unless the women actually rise up and say, you know, I, I liked what uh, Iggy said, rise up, you know, <laughs> rise up, we should have a civil revolution here and say, let's get some of these things fixed, like this is a problem. It, with the Bondiful engaged in child trafficking, bringing girls over the border from the States to Canada, that's child trafficking, to bring them in to be married at age 12 or 13, that's trafficking. So how do we deal with these issues? How do we deal with the deep, deep issues in our culture, which is a sexist culture? I wish I had the answer to that question. <clears throat> but uh, um, I think uh, how the law might be used as a tool because I don't want people to be completely discouraged to say the law is a useless tool, even Section 15, is, is we, we could take a look at a different issue, and that's sexual orientation. And we have a very heterosexist society, too. Not, not only do we have a, uh, you know, d gender discrimination, but we generally assume everybody's heterosexual, and that's you know, the norm, and so on. And we have seen that community uh, use the charter. Uh, it has been a bit piecemeal, but over time, to gain a lot of rights in this country, they um, or to, I, I don't like that, to be respected for who they are and be treated equally. I'm not saying they have extra or special rights at all. And they have slowly, through the use of mostly of Section 15, have been quite successful. Now, I would have loved to have seen an overarching perspective that said, these are normal families, that we should respect them. And, and actually, when they tried to use the word families and spouse, they didn't get anywhere in the courts. 
But when they tried to say, you cannot discriminate against me on the basis of my sexual orientation, they got a long ways. And um, so that is one thing. I guess what I'm saying is fighting the cases individually um, eventually could lead to a broader... I mean, it's not to say we've solved all the sexual orientation. Believe me, we haven't. I'm sorry, but right now we got a piece of legislation in this province that absolutely sucks. <clears throat> with respect to sexual orientation, and I'm sure you've probably already talked about Bill 44, and, and I don't want to go, go there. That's another day's topic. but um, And I've talked a lot of, about it a lot. Um, but anyway, I, I'm saying, you know, we have to use those instruments and that those ways um, that we have available to us to, to make change because um, if we just hope that we keep talking about it, it's going to change. People who have power in our society, and we know who that is, why do they want to give it up? Because it's the right thing to do? Nah, we got to force them to, right? And one of the ways we do that is through litigation, which of course is not accessible to a lot of poor people, which is another topic, right? Hi, my name is uh, Knut Peterson, fresh from a little bit of a lesson in... Danish uh, dialect. Uh, my question is is concerning uh, cross-border uh, human trafficking, uh, cons- concerning these uh, bountiful. Can you comment on why these instances, they should be easier to prosecute, shouldn't they? Um, I think Part of the problem, first of all, cross-border trafficking is not only illegal in both Canada and the United States. Um, The United States and Canada have both ratified an optional protocol to the Convention on the Rights of the Child, even though the U.S. is not known for ratifying a lot of international instruments. It has ratified that and agreed to prosecute uh, that. So there's no barrier in terms of law. Um, I think what's happening is that because this there's uh, this um, community has been left alone and it's so insular that um, and people the children are trained the young people are trained to keep sweet which means you don't talk to the anyone else you if you do it's all good what we do here it's like an indoctrination of so it's very difficult to gain evidence of of these uh, practices so you know the 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 key I would guess would be to have um, better border you know techniques to to dis, dis, discern um, when this is occurring. I know it requires a lot more um, resources, but it's, it's totally illegal. It's not. It's just they don't have evidence, and they're not they're not uh, checking for it enough, and that's why we're not hearing of any prosecutions, um, and. Let's face it, children, I mean, this sounds like a little idealistic, but children are really vulnerable, right? They they do what, you know, they don't have a lot of power. <laughs> and we always think, oh, our kids are spoiled, and believe me, I've got two, and I, I agree sometimes they are qu- quite spoiled. But when it comes down to these kind of rights, there's not a lot of protection, and we don't seem to give a crap uh, in our society and, oh, well, you know, this is what she knows and or whatever. I know there are some people who care deeply about this. So what we got to do is start phoning our MPs and saying, how come Canada Border Services and so on is, is not catching this when it's crossing our into our country? 
And why isn't the U.S. doing more? Because it's going both ways, you know. It's not just a one-way deal. So our young people who are born here are being shipped off to live in the States, traded uh, off like horses. It's like horse trading. Yeah. On that happy note. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, that's our time. Thank you again, our presenters. And thanks, Country Kitchen Catering. <laughs>